When I was in fifth grade, my teacher decided to have our class do a play. And she decided she didn't want to do just a normal play like people do in fifth grade, like, I don't know, Little Red Riding Hood or something. She wanted to do something that would be really impressive to our parents. So she chose for our fifth grade class Julius Caesar, which was an interesting, bold, bold choice. It really was. And she decided that it was, would be fine. We were like, Julie, we look at the script. We have no idea what is going on here. What are the Ides of March? We don't know. This is like <laughs> geopolitical upheaval in AD, I can't remember, 44? What was Caesar? Anyway, um, so <laughs> there's a history teacher in the room right now that's like, come on, get your facts straight, girl. Um, but so she decided we would do it. She said, it's going to be fine. All you have to do is know the line that comes before and the line that comes after yours. As long as you know the line that comes before yours and the line that comes after yours, you're going to be fine. Just say the lines. And so I didn't actually have a role in the play because she said I was too gifted. And, you know, I saw right through it, too. Um, and so uh, Richard Newell actually was the star of the play, and he was really good at math. So I assume that's people that are good at math get all the breaks, as you know. And so he was going to be the star of the play. He had his lines memorized perfectly. He did not miss a beat in rehearsal. Everyone was doing great. My job was to stand behind the big blackboard, and just on the off chance that anyone forgot their line, I had the script, and I would whisper the line to them. And so they get out there, they're in their little togas and their little laurel crowns, and their parents are just busting their buttons, um, except mine, who can't see me. And, <laughs> and they just freeze. They just freeze, like poor Richard Newell. He just couldn't remember even the very first line. He's just so stage struck. And so I'm whispering frantically, and then I have to whisper for every single line of the play. No one can remember any, it's just like a pile up. It's just, a, it's a tragedy, I, which I think Julius Caesar is. And so I'm whispering and I'm just getting, and then finally we mercifully get through the play and I'm like, thank goodness we did it. No one's the wiser. We fooled the parents, we did it great. And then the kids all took a bow and I started to understand what had happened when I walked out from behind the blackboard and got my first ever standing ovation. <laughs> they had heard me the whole time, whispering every single line. I had a, it was my one man Julius Caesar moment. Um, and honestly, I think that that is often what happens in our lives and in the church is we start to memorize lines and we lose our place in the story. They didn't know the story. Had they known the story, they could have improvised, they could have gotten it out there, but they only knew the lines. And when we start to recite the lines, even though I love the Apostles' Creed, we can lose our place in the story. We can lose the point, in fact. And I think if you were here last week, I talked about the Imago Dei or the image of God that's inside of us. And I said, I don't think I'm primarily a teacher or a pastor or a speaker or a writer. My primary call in this life is honestly to stand behind the chalkboard of your life and tell you, you have a place in the story of God. You belong inside the story. And the thing about stories, every single good one, we always want to be the star of it. I think especially in America, when we talk about narrative theology, a way of looking at the Gospels as a story because it's more compelling, it's dangerous because it's hard to see ourselves as anything but the star of a story. You know, I never read Cinderella growing up and thought I'd really want to be the wicked stepsister. 
Or I really wish I could be the carriage driver for Cinderella's pumpkin. I just never thought I wanted to be Cinderella. That's how I picture myself in this story. You don't want to be Silver. Was Silver the Lone Ranger's horse? Tonto? Oh, for, never mind. <laughs> I'm going to scrap that illustration right here on the fly. Um, but you know, we all want to be the star of the story. But in the story of God, we don't get to be the star. He is the star. Once upon a time, God created the heavens and the earth. He is the subject and the main character of the story. We know that because he's the only one in the story that doesn't die. God is the star of the story. We are side players in it, but we get to play a big piece in a big story. We We play a supporting role in a big story. And the story starts with new creation and it also ends with new creation and revelation. All through the story of the Bible, our text this morning is the Bible. Because the very beginning, God creates a new heaven and new earth and in the end, he creates a new heaven and a new earth. And in the middle, what happens? Up, down, up, down. People move in and out of the storyline of God. Adam and Eve are right in the middle of his heart. And then they get tricked by the serpent because every good story has a villain, right? Every story has a villain. And the villain in Adam and Eve's story is the same as the villain in our story. There's always a competing storyline. Do you believe for a second that the storyline God chose for pretty is for her to carry wood on her head for her whole life? That there's a competing storyline. And so... We go in and out of the storyline of God. We see Adam and Eve fall into their own kind of story. They want to build their own story in the lowlands. And then we see God call to Noah. Everybody's saved because Noah steps back in the storyline of God. And then mankind falls out of it again. We see the time of all the crazy times in between Noah and then Abraham. God calls to Abraham and he says, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. Through you, he says, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This isn't even optional for Abraham. It's not a request. It's just a command. Through you, I'm going to bless the whole world. And then after Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, we see, we turn the page from the end of Genesis to the beginning of Exodus, and we see that the children of Israel had numbered 60, and now they number nearly a million, and they have been in slavery for 400 years. So God calls to Moses and says, I want to remind you of your place in the plot line. I want to call you back into my story. Moses and Joshua lead the people out of slavery, and they lead them into a new life, and they take possession of the promised land, and we're saved. And then they start to fall out of it again. They start to look for other gods. They start to worship in other ways. And then God calls to David. And he says, will you lead the people back into the storyline of God? And then they do. Israel enjoys a short time on the world stage as a superpower. And then slowly they begin to give their heart to other gods. And they begin to look for other ways to be the star of their own story. And then finally... They fall to the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and the Persians and the Greeks and the Roman Empire. And then at the turn of time, Jesus says, I'm going to go tell them the story myself. I'm going to come. I'm going to move into the neighborhood. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to be a living, breathing, open book. They can read about the love of a good father by watching the love of a good son. Jesus comes and he calls us back into the story of God. And people love him until they don't. 
And then they crucify him and bury him and he raises again for our ultimate redemption. And then he launches the church. And the church steps right into the storyline of God and never falls out of it even once. Nope. That doesn't really happen for any of us, you know? We all kind of look like a heart monitor. Our devotion to God's purposes, I think we go in and out and in and out. We remember, oh, that's right, I'm called to something bigger. And then we go, oh, shoot, I really want to live my own life. I really want to do this my own way. I really need to protect my own stuff and my own agenda and my own ego. And then we step back into the storyline of God and we're like, oh, I really like it here. This is really great when I can be purposeful and I can do things that matter. That's a little bit how my life looks too. Actually, how my Tuesday looks, if I'm being honest. (laughs) There's times where you just feel it. You feel like there's this big story going on all around me and I wanna be a part of it. And that's the story of the church as well. The church has moved in when they have done brilliant things like helped with the abolition of slavery and they have done other things like host the crusades. The church went in and out of the storyline of God. We lose our place in the plot line often, but the story is always going on around us, always. From Genesis to Revelation. Has Revelation happened yet? Nope, not unless you've seen some things I haven't seen. (laughs) Revelation hasn't happened yet, prophetic book. And so um, my daughter went to a missions trip when she was a senior in high school. And it ended as all good mission trips should at Magic Mountain. And she went into the restroom and one of her leaders was in there and she had the paper map that she had been given at the gate. And she was looking at it and she said, Tess, could you help me with something? I can't find the you are here dot on this map. Can you just think about that for a second? (laughs) She didn't have a GPS, she just had a paper map. So the map could tell her where all the cool things were, the rides, the restrooms, the funnel cakes, but one thing it could not tell her is where she was. And so this morning before, I think a good question for us to ask ourselves is not where is God in the story, but where are we? Because when we look at the Bible, sometimes we can look at it like this is something that happened a long, long time ago, and it's cool that Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down, but I don't know where I fit in this. I see the apostles, I see the miracles, I see the stuff that happened all through the Bible, but where is my story in the Bible? Good news, when you turn the, you end in Jude, and you turn the page to Revelation, you are here. Hasn't happened yet. The Bible is still being written. The stories are still being told. We're still a part of this thing. I have this theory. I have nothing to back it up. Nothing. But here's my theory, that we're going to get to heaven and we're going to get new Bibles and they're going to have the battle of Joshua and they're going to have the battle of Bo. They're going to have the battle of you and you're going to read about the difference your life made because you didn't lose your place in the plot line. We sang this morning, this is a house of miracles. Every time we sing that song, I sit in that chair and I go, really? We see miracles. And this morning, I looked at that number, 635 kids getting an education that will change their lives. That's a miracle to them. There's probably about that many people in this room today. Look around. For every single person in this room, there is a kid who has experienced a miracle through this house. Because this is a house of miracles, even if we don't get to see them. 
We are joining with the storyline of God. This is the beauty when our story begins to mingle with other people's stories. This morning when, when our stories in English and our worship in English went up to the Father and our worship in Spanish went up to the Father and he knows what to do with all of the languages and he brings us together because he knows that together we make a difference in our world in a way that we cannot alone. We matter. God doesn't have a mission for his church. He has a church for his mission. We're the church for the mission of God. He has a you for his mission. Your story, as it intersects with, with others, might bring a real plot twist for them. That's what we read about this morning. We saw on these, in that video, we saw someone whose life was walking every day to get water so that she could not have an education. And then a well came to her city, plot twist. The way her story was gonna go, changed. Pretty. Every day, Carrie Wood had to work to raise her, kid, her family because her dad disappeared. Plot twist. Who's the plot twist? Whatever five bucks you threw in the offering. I mean, every day, I fill up a copper bowl with water for my dog. And there are people who walk to get it. We're really blessed. Maybe the best miracles we can anticipate in our house are gonna be the ones that flow out to people who are living in a story that is so much different than ours, that is so much harder than ours. Maybe it's time for us to start to look around and say how much could the mission of God flow through our lives if we would say yes to his story. If we would say no to less worthy things, because there's always gonna be things that wanna consume your attention and your time and your energy and your worry. We're always gonna be worried about the price of gas. I know we are, I read about it every single day, but come on, after you watch that stuff, doesn't it seem like less important in the whole scheme of things? When we start to see why we're here, our lives change, I believe it. I've seen it in my own life. And if I could whisper a line to you today, it wouldn't be, you matter, you matter. Every dime you give, every prayer you pray, every word of encouragement you say, every person you hold and care for and love matters. Every bit of your story plays into someone else's story because that's how God works. When we wonder where is he? Where is he when people are starving? Where is he when people are hurting? Where is God when, when, when people are dying? I think sometimes God is saying, here, he's in you. Why didn't God show up? Don't ask that question till I ask why I didn't show up. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well but then you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue some people have faith and others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. 
You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Our faith is not a passive substance. It is active. We do not save ourselves. We don't have any participation in the grace of Jesus Christ. It is free. It is loaded on us. It is as abundant as the water those kids splash in. It is all for you and it is all for free, but we do get to participate in the mission of God. That he does invite us into. That we are privileged to be invited into this magical, beautiful thing where you can take your juggling skills into an after-school program and maybe affect a plot twist in some kid's life. That's how God works. He takes our little bit of nothing and makes it into a whole lot of something. Keep asking ourselves, is our faith active? Active faith will push us toward the plot line of the story over and over again. It will push us toward the point. Who needs to be freed? Who needs to be loved or fed or healed or supported or encouraged? That's the mission of God through us. God has a church for his mission and he has you. The mission of God at B4 is pretty simple. Create a space where people can experience the love of God in our community and inspire them to become help and hope to the world beyond our walls. Simple, we create space, we meet here, we experience him, we listen to his words about our story and then we join him in his. The For the City initiative is part of how we do that. We do it through water, through education, through community involvement. Uh, Last year we did it through hundreds of World Vision sponsorships. Miracles are flowing out from this house. This is the mission of God. You are the mission of God. Who is the world that only you can reach? Because every dime and every prayer and every single thing matters. It matters in somebody else's story. God's mission. In fact, the story of God, even though I just took all this time to tell it, can be told in three words, really, just three words. Create restore, redeem, always. God is always up to those three, three things. You can Bible roulette it if you want to, and you can point to any scripture and you can see where God is either creating something beautiful and then sin messes it up. And so he steps in to repair it and restore it to himself. Sometimes he does that through correction. And then ultimately we see on nearly every page Jesus Christ headed our way, carrying with him a redemptive storyline. Create, restore, redeem. God is always up to those things. And so if you wanna know how to start jumping into the story of God, that's where. What is God creating in your world right now? What is he restoring in your world right now? What does he wanna redeem in your world right now? Maybe it's you. Maybe he wants to redeem you right now. Maybe he wants to reach into you and tell you your story is not lost. Maybe he wants to stand behind the chalkboard and whisper to you, you matter, you have a place, you have a role to play. And I believe the impact of our faith will reverberate throughout the halls of heaven. We're gonna sing and just respond to God however you want to. Um, We have a QR code that will take you to the For the City initiative and your dollars will go to build wells and educate children. 
Um, we're not going to pass buckets, but it's there if you'd like to use it. We did this a couple of months ago as we blessed Miguel, someone from our church who had become orphaned. He and his sisters. And this church gave, I think, nearly $50,000 to help educate and take care of that family. And so I know that you know that you matter. And I know that you know all of this has way more significance than we can possibly or ever will see with our bare eyes. We'll never know the big, the big thing that God wants to do through the little money we give or the time we give or the energy or what we take to after school kids or what you take to your neighbor or what you do for your grandkids. Mission, we are the Imago Day. We carry the image of Jesus Christ and from that image we live out into his mission. Let's sing this together and then I'll come back and close up.
perhaps you feel so hopelessly lost from any sense of purpose, I just believe that God is here for you this morning. The Holy Spirit is here to whisper into your ear the story, why your story of pain makes sense, why your story of pain qualifies you to be help and hope to someone else. Listen for him this morning. Listen for him this week. If you'd like to receive a final blessing, would you hold your hands out in front of you? May we be men and women who understand that when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will and his kingdom and his miracles will come through us. May we be men and women who say yes. Yes to his story, yes to his strategy, and yes to his spirit. In the name of the one who writes the very best stories, amen.